Welcome to Making and Breaking Social Policy, a podcast about how we respond to big social issues and what this means for social and community practice. My name is Ben Lohmeyer, and I'm a lecturer and researcher in social work here at Flinders University. My special guest for this episode is Kylie Ferguson. Kylie is the CEO of Community Centres SA. She has worked across a wide range of government and non-government organisations, across service delivery, policy and management roles, including being a non-executive director of the Animal Welfare League in South Australia, a manager of community development at City of Mitcham, a senior associate community engagement and social planner with Jensen Plus, as well as a manager of the Inner Southern Southern Region State Planning Strategy at the Department of Planning and SA, as well as a lecturer and course coordinator at the University of South Australia. So a great range of experience. On top of that, she has a range of qualifications, including a Master of Science uh, with an international development and education focus, Master of Social Work here from Flinders University, a grad dip in urban planning, community and regional planning, as well as a Bachelor in Social Geography. So she has this excellent combination of knowledge, experience, as well as passion, which you'll hear her talk about for her work with Community Centres SA. Community Centres SA, if you haven't heard of them, are the peak body for 103 community centres and neighbourhood houses across South Australia. At their heart, community centres exist to empower local communities, have a voice, and to build meaningful social connections. And that's what we're going to talk about in our conversation today, a really interesting project done with Community Centres SA about loneliness and social connection in community centres here in South Australia. We recognise that Flinders Social Work operates primarily on the traditional lands and waters of the Ghana people, and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge their sovereignty as never ceded and their continued responsibility to care for country. Kylie, thank you so much for joining me today for a chat about loneliness and social connection within Community Centres SA. Uh, We recently collaborated on a project on this very topic. We did. Which was really exciting, really good fun. Um, So it's great to be able to sit here and sort of chat up that through a little bit, talk about some of the findings, etc., as well as um, what it means for your work in Community Centres SA, which will be really good. So maybe actually to get us started, you should tell us what Community Centres SA is. Sure, Ben. Yes, and it has been a fantastic research project. I'm very excited to see the outcomes of that. So Community Centres SA, Ben, is what we call a peak body, peak being P-E-A-K. And a peak body is an organisation that um, supports a bunch of other similar organisations to do what they do best. In our case, Community Centres SA, we support 108 community centres around the state to be the very best organisations they can for their local community. And when I talk about community centres, Ben, you would have one in your neighbourhood, most people would have one in their local suburb, but may not know about them. Mm. But they're local buildings run by local community members, mostly volunteers, Usually they've been around 20, 30, 40 years and they're just places where people can come to connect up with others, to participate in an amazing array of programs that might be cooking for widowed men or learning to speak English or learning how to use um, your iPhone to connect up with your grandchildren. Every community centre is different, but our job And my job as the CEO of Community Centres SA is to do a whole lot of work in the background 
that tells the stories of what community centres do, mm. reminds the rest of South Australia about how awesome they are, mm -hmm. and we get in there and bat for them every day of our lives um, through policy, through funding, um, through training, and so on. Great. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like your work is really important to, to have a overarching view of this fantastic on-the-ground work that the community centres do and, and support them and find ways to keep prioritising and, and sharing their work. Yeah, exactly, Ben. I often think of it as sometimes you hear the term sort of um, the balcony view. We have the balcony view. Nice. We're not on the ground running a community centre. We're not on the ground working with um, participants who come in the door every day to participate in programs and talk to us about challenges or opportunities in their life. But we are on the balcony looking across at all the community centres and all of the nearly 40,000 people actually that come wow. to centres each week, wow. 40,000. So huge. that's a massive reach that they have into local community. So we're on the balcony constantly scanning what's going on identifying trends, identifying challenges, and then we'll get down on the ground, we'll jump off the balcony, back onto the ground, get our hands dirty to make sure we're always understanding and are deeply informed by community um, to make sure that we're always true to our ethos and our knowledge. Then we'll climb back up on the balcony <laughs> and do our job um, to support those on the ground working in community centres. So we recently worked on a project together about loneliness and social isolation. Is loneliness a big deal in South Australia? And how did you come to decide that this was a topic worth investigating in community centres? Loneliness, I would call actually, Ben, loneliness an epidemic. We think of COVID <laughs> as an epidemic, a global e epidemic, and mm. so is loneliness. Mm. Um, increasingly more and more people are saying that they feel lonely every day. So mm. so generally the research tells us that about one in four people would say that they feel lonely. Wow. Which is different to being alone. You can be alone and enjoy your own space. Yeah. But being lonely, um, research tells us, and there's some fantastic research, particularly the work by uh, Juliana Holt-Lundstad, that tells us of the deep impacts of loneliness on our mental health and our physical health. And often I talk to the fact that the biggest impact on our longevity and how long we live our lives, it's not smoking, it's not exercise, it's not um, drugs, it's not cancer, it's actually loneliness um, because of the relationship between loneliness and our mental and physical health. So it's a massive issue and sadly we know now the biggest groups that are increasingly feeling lonely are younger people. Mm. Um, more and more we're learning how lonely younger people are feeling and there's a whole lot of complex um, reasons behind that. But and I'm sure many people, many of your students would, would um, feel lonely sometimes or often or sometimes even all the time. Mm. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling. Why did we focus on loneliness, Ben? Um, in part because community centres will consistently tell us, and research tells us this as well, that people will come to community centres often because they don't have a big sign on their door that says, come to us if you have a mental health challenge, mm -hmm. or come to us if you have a gambling addiction, or come to us if you want to learn about cooking, 
when you go into a community centre, you don't need to fill in a form and talk about whether you're on a disability pension or what your income is or what your mental health is. You simply come along to community centres to just be, to be whoever you want to be and you're in a very, very safe culturally and psychologically safe space. Mm. And people tell community centres over and over and over again that they're coming to a community centre because they want to connect up with others because at the heart of that need is feeling lonely. Mm. And they may not always be able to articulate it in those words. Often we don't use the words we're feeling lonely. Yep. But through conversations and through the gentle art of active listening, we learn that people are feeling lonely. So that's at the heart of what community centres do. And I think for me personally, Ben, um, it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about, primarily because of some work I did, you know, a good, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago now, when there was a, a major natural disaster in Indonesia, um, a tsunami in Banda Aceh on Boxing Day in 2004. Yeah. And I was working there. I was um, working there for the federal government. And my formal role was supporting villages to look at rebuilding because I also have a town planning and architectural background. So formally, I was working with those villages that were left, which were mostly women and children because their husbands were fishermen and had drowned at sea. Mm. Um, and I was there to look at working with villages about where to rebuild schools and roads and so on. But I very, very, very quickly learned that actually my role was to sit in that dreadful, sad space with people and support them to feel comfortable enough to get out of bed in the morning and nurture new connections because they were so lonely because they had lost all of their loved ones and their friends. Wow. And that's really stayed with me in terms of where I want to focus my energies in whatever organisation I'm in, because we all need to feel that deep connection with other people. And when we don't have it, um, the impact is just incredibly alienating and horrible. That makes so much sense. Wow. That's a really powerful story. Mm. Um, it makes a lot of sense to the, one of the definitions I've read recently on how to understand um, loneliness. I think this comes from the World Health Organisation is the pain experienced as a result of the, the difference between the desired connection and the one you have available. So Yeah, I think that's a really good connection, Ben, because it uses the word pain. And often when I've heard people speak about loneliness, they say it's not just a feeling, it's a pain. Yeah. And, you know, we very often people hear people talk about feelings as something that, they believe gets easily dismissed. Oh, it's just a feeling. Oh, you'll get over it. It's just a feeling. Like a feeling is nothing. A feeling is something you can simply solve. But then when they talk more deeper about it as being a deep pain, mm. um, I think I've began to understand how deep that must feel. Um, and certainly there's been times in my life, I'm sure yours, Ben, um, where you have felt that, you know, at different times yeah. from that lonely feeling. Yeah. I really like that idea and I like like you've said, that, that notion of pain, um, because it could easily be dismissed loneliness as something that you know, that sort of individualised, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with life yes, kind yes. of thing. Uh, but your story from Bandarche and I think the work in community centres as well shows that there are really a huge circumstantial component to this. Like where you find yourself can determine whether you're lonely or not. It's got can be very little to do whether 
you know, your attitude towards it, pull yourself up by bootstraps is if you've lost your community. Yeah, absolutely. And we see loneliness being particularly prevalent at sometimes key milestones in, in people's lives. And um, Ben, I was just talking to you, wasn't I, when we were walking along here about mm -hmm. a bit of loneliness I'm feeling at the moment because my kids are all leaving home. Yeah. Um, and I've been so used to an identity that is in part related to being a mum. Mm -hmm. And um, it feels like suddenly, although it has been a journey, that my gorgeous children are now off on their own journeys. Mm -hmm. And I feel a bit lonely with that. And um, the more I research that, I'm understanding how deep that feeling can feel for parents. Yeah. And then there are other milestones related to grieving the loss of, uh, of someone or when your kids might go to school or when you've moved out of your home, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so loneliness can come and go and it can have different impacts at different times. But for some people, when there's not that broader social support network around them and not people like social workers or community development workers to really understand that, then the road can be a pretty tough one. That makes sense, yeah. And that idea of milestones, I think, connects back to something else that you said, which was um, that there's a rising recognition that loneliness is happening for young people as well. And maybe there's a connection there that might be worth exploring some more. Uh, we'll have to find a way to do it uh, around the milestones young people are experiencing, like you said, leaving home, going to university, perhaps moving town, perhaps becoming a parent. Uh, I know a lot of the, there's a lot of programs in community centers for young parents and connecting them up as well. Um, so maybe there's some logic to that, that part of it too. Yeah, they're, they're definitely younger people. Um, in South Australia, recent evidence from Uniting Communities are telling us that one in two people aged between 16 and 24 feel deeply lonely. Wow. Um, for many of the reasons you've just talked about, Ben. And, you know, I imagine even many um, social work students listening that ha might have families in other countries um, often will end up doing their workplace, their social work placements in community centres mm -hmm. and will speak to the loneliness they're feeling. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, wow. So if we, if we come back to uh, this report that we, we worked on and created, and the idea was to identify uh, the things that community centres are actually doing really, really well to address loneliness and to build social connection. What are some key takeaways from that for you and that you would be taking back to the community centres? Yeah, Ben, um, you and your team ran through um, research through working with participants in community centres through um, focus groups and you were speaking to people who participate in community centres. And the the research, as I understand it, it's really pointing towards things that community centres do incredibly well. They, if you like, live and breathe this space of community connectedness. At the heart of what we do is about supporting people to feel empowered, to have a voice, to build their own capacity, focus on the strengths that they have rather than the deficits, and build connections, meaningful connections with others. And the reason why community centres are so fantastic at doing that is a little bit along the lines of what I alluded to before, which is the space itself, they don't look formal, they look informal. Sometimes it looks like a house. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a pretty daggy house, can't it, Ben? <laughs> um, but not always, um, because every community centre is very different. But those often that feel less formal, less institutionalised, less like you're walking into a 
formalised office mm. are the ones where people really feel safe. And we all know that when we feel safe in an environment, safe with the people we're speaking to, and we know that information we're sharing will be treated with respect and with value, then we tend to feel more comfortable sharing our information. And that opens up the doors to all sorts of opportunities about, gee, you're, you're, um, you're doing this cooking class um, because you've recently been widowed and you really want to learn more about cooking. But, you, you know, you're also telling us about the fact that you'd love to be able to speak with your granddaughter more regularly, but you don't feel comfortable using your iPhone. But, you know, Betty next door in that room next door at the moment, she's running a program for using your iPhone to connect up with grandchildren. Um, you know, maybe you and Betty could, could have a bit of a chat and then suddenly that person finds a connection with another group or another individual and community centres, staff and volunteers have got this incredible radar <laughs> for looking out for connection opportunities yeah, um, right. and constantly nurturing that in a really informal way. So you don't, it doesn't feel like um, a dating app or something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's not a kind of a formal connection point, yeah. but that's, that's the skill that community development and social work workers will use with a community development lens to always be hearing about people's strengths, their interests and their needs, mm. and then making those connections. And that's what community centres are all about. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one of the bits of language that I picked up on in some of the literature we, you, you did uh, to, to give a name to what you're talking about was the idea of bumping spaces which I think is kind of really fun name for it. It's, it. it's very kind of evocative. It gives you an image of people physically bumping into each other, but that's almost literally what it means. It means creating those spaces that you've just described where people are in close physical proximity uh, and therefore have an excuse to kind of talk to each other, right? Yeah. We're both here doing the same thing and so it's socially acceptable for us to start a yeah, conversation. Yeah, I love that term too, Ben, and I also love it because... It's an active term. It's a verb, bumping. And so what it implies is there is actually a skill behind thinking about the space people are in so that physically it works to promote the bumping. <laughs> and I don't mean necessarily making sure that, you know, that you've got the most beautiful paint um, colours on the walls and the most up-to-date funky chairs, but it's thinking about the tiny little things, um, like for example, you wouldn't necessarily have um, a room full of act of a very noisy activity. Um, let's say you've got preschoolers in one room in a community centre, right next to um, a class of of people um, learning about active listening skills in another. So you're thinking about the location of where people go. That's just one little example, and so. It's a skill to think about how to nurture bumping. You're Absolutely. thinking about the physical environment and you're also thinking about nurturing the conversations and gently encouraging people to bump yes. nice. <laughs> in a way that doesn't feel like it's a dance class. <laughs> nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and the other part of what you're describing, which I think uh, I learned about as well through this project, was that this is not just physical and it's it's a social space which is a way i think of what you're describing and it's there's an art to it it's not just the colors on the walls not just the furniture in the room but the way you arrange times and spaces and locations are, are really important the other thing i remember um, participants saying is or describing it as um, 
the the outcome of addressing loneliness was a byproduct of the formal thing that yes. they were doing. It's almost like it's the in-between spaces between a program going from one to the other or even within a program, you know, there's a there's a little breakout space or there's a option to step out of the program for a second, go a glass of water or whatever. And, and that seems to be where the connection really yeah. happens. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I love my role and I love community centres and I love working in the space of community development, which is very much allied and synergistic with social work. But it is often a different, a different skill and a different way of thinking because often, but not always, in a social work environment, you're working one-to-one -one with a person and you're examining a particular issue or challenge and you're kind of drawing a little box around it because you've got 50 minutes for that session <laughs> and you've got a bunch of things that you have to tick off on that you've achieved. Working with community development, you're actually working very much with the incidental spaces like you've talked about, Ben, the kitchens where things happening. You're working with community and groups of people. It's not always one-to-one. -one. And you're working with the, I call it the chaos and the murkiness of community. You never kind of know what's going to happen, but your role in it is to nurture and bring out the strengths of that. So it's, it's very much related and is certainly a skill of social workers, um, but does require sometimes a, a, a different lens. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. That <clears throat> that formal kind of practice versus informal, messy, you know, in community practice is a, is a different skill set, different orientation. So, what do we do with this knowledge now? What will you do with it now that we have this report that's captured all this amazing work that the centres are going to do? Where does it go for two from here? Sure, Ben. Well, first of all, I think we need to celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because yeah. you know. In our sector, it's the most rewarding and enriching sector. Sometimes it can be hard work. And um, achieving milestones always requires a little bit of celebration, Ben. So I reckon, you know, you and your team and um, the community centres and the participants will all give themselves a bit of a pat on the back. <laughs> nice. But, um, you know, then what, what do you do with really rich information, I think? And that's where I get really excited in my role. Um, and really any social worker has got this as part of their role. The Code of Ethics talks about advocating for social justice. But as a CEO of a peak body, a big part of my role is in advocacy. Mm. So what that means is this kind of information is is golden in, in shaping opportunities because it's current, it's contemporary, it's um, incredibly well evidenced. And so I take that information and I do several things with it. One is I'll, we will work with all of the community centres to say what you think you know, because you work with this day in, day out, here's some research that can either support what you know, so you've, you, you know with confidence that what you're doing is on the right track, or conversely, there might be some learnings in this that can help you in your own reflection, because all community development practitioners and social workers should be deeply reflective consistently about their practice, their values. Um, and so that's part of the story of what we'll do with, do with it. And we'll try and explore it through some seminars and conferences and promote learnings and conversations about it. Um, and there's nothing better than having a good old chat amongst colleagues about what is this telling us and what can, how can we learn from this? Um, but then more broadly, I said that information's golden and that's because a big part of our role as the peak body 
is advocating for our sector and kind of speaking from the rooftop about how awesome it is Mm -hmm. and how important it is to listen to the sector's voice because community centres know community deeply. Mm -hmm. So when government, for example, is thinking about policies around domestic violence or homelessness or changes in legislation about um, minimum award wages, for example, we will use this information to speak to challenges and issues and opportunities ever present in communities' lives and how that should shape policy or legislation going forward. Um, so, so evidence and research is a vitally important component and element of consistently informing really the progress of our society to keep to keep doing better. Fantastic. Thank you. That's a, a really important message, I think, for this podcast and this topic as well is uh, to say that this, the work of taking this research and advocating and, and promoting um, some social change based on this knowledge that we found is is really important. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know, what do you enjoy about that role? You know, why are you in this role <laughs> as a, a CE and, and why do you think it's a valuable thing to, to dedicate your time to? I love my job, Ben. Um, I really do. I feel like I've I've found my my mojo <laughs> in this role. Um, and you know, when I reflect on that, I think about probably a time where you know many students are at now, which is um, at least for me when I first started university, which was you know some years ago now. <laughs> And it was actually at a time when hex fees were just introduced to the tertiary sector back in the late 80s, mid 80s. And um, I was really, as a a young kind of pretty idealistic student with a big, a big, you know, social justice passion. I thought that that stank, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, So I and a bunch of other students took ourselves off in a little minibus to Canberra and... um, found a tree and tied ourselves up to the tree nice. <laughs> with, with some placards and said, no more hex fees, you know. And I think we made the news and that was probably my one and only claim to fame, Ben. <laughs> but um, not to say that everyone has to advocate in that way, but I've always known that there's this um, pretty strong burning passion in me to feel like I have a responsibility to, to stand up and say something when there's injustice in the world. And I think that's ultimately what drives most people to social work and to community development. And I imagine many listeners feel that now. And then the challenge with the profession is often you get, you get caught up in the day to day and, and sometimes the, the depth of challenges in people's lives. Mm. And sometimes you can forget that as a social worker, you've actually, you're actually signing up to a code of ethics that's telling you Mm. that part of your role is to speak up. Mm-hmm. And so as a CEO of a peak body, a big chunk of my role is to speak up, mm. um, which I don't do anymore by tying myself to a tree. <laughs> oh, that's um, a shame. But what, what I do do is build relationships with other people that are in positions of being able to, to inform change. So ministers um, working with local governments, with mayors, with councils, working with other peak bodies, um, organisations like SACOS, which is a South Australian Council of Social Services, and a bunch of other amazing organisations whose 
um, who's often leaders and staff also have a strong role to play in speaking up about particular issues. Mm -hmm. So I see my little tiny voice, um, but it can be a pretty loud voice sometimes if I'm if I'm really put up to the challenge of working with a broader community who collectively we have a really loud voice. And then, Ben, if you amplify that voice with 108 community centres and mm. nurture them to use their voice mm. to speak up, and then if they can nurture the 35,000 people that come to their centres each week to have a voice and to empower that voice, that starts to become a pretty strong voice. Um, so that's, I guess, what in part drives me and what I love about the role is feeling like in my own way, I can make a difference. And I guess most of all, I'm being true to my own values because none of us can really work effectively if we're not aligning our work and our voice with, with our values. And that's fantastic. Thank you. I really like that idea that uh, social workers are kind of agents of individual, but also social change. Mm. Like that's what you're signing up to. I think that's mm. what I heard you say. Uh, as a social worker, that code of ethics is to be doing both. Um, and I think you've actually painted a really appealing picture of, of that kind of work, you know, this idea of working with this stakeholder group of community centres and supporting them to raise their voice and building connections with key other players in the field so those voices can be heard. That sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, <laughs> it is fun. Look, I often think of it as kind of every day I've spent in a jigsaw. Do you know, and there's all these pieces because someone, you know, a dog or a cat's jumped on the jigsaw and it's broken up and shattered all the all the pieces of the puzzle. But partly my role and my colleague's role is to help facilitate the joining of those pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And we never get the whole puzzle built in a day. And you can bet we get half of it built and then another dog's going to come and jump on it the next day and it shatters again. But but bit by bit, we work to join the pieces together. We work with other organisations, with, with colleagues. We're constantly building connections, always the opposite of trying to work in a silo, always, 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 um, to pull the pieces together to, as you say, Ben, to be an agent of change. And it's not only supporting people to be a change in their own lives, but it's about supporting communities more broadly to be agents of change. And that's when you start to see scaled change across neighbourhoods, suburbs, states, nations. And, and you know, let's aim high, the globe as well. That's fantastic. We should absolutely aim high. <laughs> that's so good. So if we have some students listening who want to aim high, who would love to work in this kind of policy advocacy role, what should they be thinking about now? What's your hot tip for them in terms of starting a career in that space? Research. And that's not always formalised institutional research or research you might read about in a journal as part of your reading, for example. Mm -hmm. It can be research for, for example, using LinkedIn, which I just think is the most amazing tool to tap into great knowledge from other practitioners on all manner of topics. I'm a bit addicted to LinkedIn because it just brings so much rich information yeah. and opportunities to connect up with other things, people, mm -hmm. activities. Mm -hmm. So I would say... Always be inquisitive and curious and don't think that you know the answers. We never get to a point where we know the answers. Always keep reading and exploring. And I think that's the backbone actually of what you need to be involved in policy and advocacy because you, it's important to speak from the heart. That's one part of effective advocacy and to your value set. But the other part is to speak with some knowledge and to have some um 
some evidence and that might come about it might be quantitative evidence it might also be through narratives provided by people with lived experience but be able to have that evidence to support your core messaging mm. so for me that's the two key components of being involved in that space um and you know i guess more generally though like dig deep and find your values and your passions and always be true to them because if you can be true to them when you speak and when you seek to change and get involved in policy or strategy or advocacy you will be effective because it's clear that you're passionate about it mm. because without passion it's really hard to affect change that's great thank you i think that's really <laughs> useful Oh, that's excellent. This has been a really rich conversation, I think. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, Ben. Talking about loneliness and as well as uh, talking about advocacy and, and how to get involved in those bits. Um, we could probably talk for a lot longer, but we've got our report that people can read and take a look at yes. as well. Uh, but if people want to follow up your work or community centres, say, uh, how would they do that? Where should they go and try and find you? Well, they can find Community Centres SA and information about all the different things that the organisation does on www.communitycentressa.asn.au um, They could, when they're doing their um, practice work, their term placement. social work placement, thank you, Ben, um, they might like to consider seeking to join a community centre, which I would say is an incredibly rich um, placement experience, quite different from many of the other um, uh, um, placements which, you know, you might be working on a particular issue, you know, child protection, for example, or in, in counselling in a school or something. Community centres are <laughs> kind of diverse and you never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. That's another opportunity. Um, they might like to consider volunteering in a community centre um, or even in some of Community Centres SA's programs, we have some amazing vo um, volunteering opportunities if students are interested in um, mentoring um, refugees, for example, or working with people who are lonely. Mm -hmm. um, and that's often, I think, an amazing way to build skills and confidence. And also, if you're feeling lonely as a student, a great mm -hmm. way to connect up with others. Um, so, you know, if none of those, you know, are things that you think are going to work for you but you're still interested then ben um students can contact you and you can pass them on to them and we can have a further chat always always up for a chat absolutely that's so good well thank you again for the chat today it has been really rich i really do appreciate your time and, and uh, yeah this is a really important topic and the work that community centers day sa do and you is fantastic so more people should know about it thanks ben my pleasure this episode was edited by Ryan Manhire, music by Anthem of Rain, sourced from the freemusicarchive.org. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter, at Ben. If you like the podcast, please like, share, comment, and do all the things. <laughs>